listening to Green Biz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. For Green Biz Radio, I'm Matthew Wieland. Sustainability at General Motors is something we've covered repeatedly at GreenBiz.com, from zero-waste factory floors to innovations in alternative fuel sources. But shifting an enormous company like GM is no quick feat, and even the last three months have suggested that a sea change is underway in how American car buyers in particular are choosing their vehicles. I recently spoke with Terry Cullum, the Director of Corporate Responsibility and Environment and Energy at General Motors, about the company's long efforts to improve the environmental performance of their vehicles, as well as how GM is looking ahead to make successful predictions about the long-term market. I began by asking Terry how the near future looks for GM, with its all-electric Chevy Volt scheduled for release in 2010, how a global company addresses regional preferences, and their options for alternative fuels. Are there solutions that you're tailoring to specific countries, to specific regions within countries? Are you sort of playing all over the field to see what works best at this point? Yeah, I, I think it's a little of both, quite frankly. I think we're looking at uh, the, the energy infrastructure in the various parts of the world in which we sell vehicles. Uh, probably the, the best example is looking uh, in Brazil, where they have an abundant uh, uh, supply of sugarcane, and uh, it's no secret that the Brazilians have, uh, have moved very aggressively into the biofuel area, and, uh, and I believe somewhere around 95% of the, the fueling that's done uh, in Brazil is with uh, with biofuels. Uh, so there's one where you know the the natural resource that's available uh, is certainly something that uh, makes economic sense in terms of uh, moving into for the existing uh, the car park. So that's an example of uh, you, you, you want to apply the the energy source uh, that makes the most sense for that region. But yes, for right now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at, because we're developing global architectures, we're trying to look at many different options to deploy, uh, and it would be dependent on, again, the regions in which we are going to deploy the technology. So there's lots of options that we're looking at, a lot of options on the table in, in, in trying to deploy advanced technologies where it makes the most sense. Let's let's talk a little bit about the broader shift in what consumers are looking for in cars. I think the news last week, maybe a couple weeks ago, was that GM is looking, taking a second look at the Hummer line, which I think has long been the poster child for uh, for the least, you know, fuel efficient, least environmentally friendly vehicle. There was news earlier this week that uh, Ford had an SUV plant that was going to have to sit idle for nine weeks because of slacking demand. How does a company as large as General Motors respond to this change in demand quick enough to meet it? I mean, obviously, this didn't come out of nowhere, but it has picked up really rapidly just in the last few months. I think, obviously, it's uh, a direct result of uh, fuel prices uh, escalating uh, at the rate that they have. 
and hitting points where it now makes a difference with the consumer. Uh, so I think we've hit that. You know, a company as large as General Motors, we like to be large and nimble is, uh, is what we'd like to be. And uh, when, when we saw that the trend was moving in that direction, it was clear that we had to make uh, fairly aggressive moves to adjust to that uh, change in consumer demand. Uh, and that's why you saw the, uh, the announcements relative to uh, uh, some of our full-size uh, sport utility and truck plants. And that's where uh, the discussion around the Hummer brand uh, was, was initiated. So you have to be as nimble as you can be, even, even though you're big. Uh, it requires a tremendous amount of manufacturing flexibility and engineering flexibility and management commitment to make these changes. But uh, the management commitment's there, and we certainly have the, the manufacturing expertise and, in, and the engineering expertise to take on the, the task at hand. So over the next couple of years, you're going to see, you know, changes as a result of, you know, $4 and, and above uh, gas prices. What would be your hope for General Motors in terms of how to grow market share and lower cafe averages to improve environmental performance and overall impact of the cars? What's, what's sort of your hope for General Motors along those lines? Well, I, I think the, the hope for, for any major auto manufacturer is that you have the right strategy uh, to meet the, the consumer demand that arguably changes and, and to make sure that you don't overcorrect, uh, but make sure that uh, you, know, you're, you are flexible and nimble enough uh, when you do see consumer demand signals that suggest that you know, uh, the days of uh, even $3 gas might be over with. You, you need to be able to uh, adjust and adjust quickly. So that's the challenge to us you know, as we speak. And, and with the announcements by Rick Wagner uh, just a couple weeks ago, I think it's very clear that that's the direction that uh, General Motors is headed in and, and will be for the foreseeable future. So we're confident that, again, we have the, uh, the resources, the flexibility, and, uh, and the expertise uh, to be able to pull this off so that we can provide our, our products that have the utility, the performance, and the fuel economy that consumers are really looking for in vehicles that have to be exciting. You know, we're, we're convinced that the design of the vehicle is, is probably the most compelling feature to get a, a, you know, a customer to take a look and, and draw the customer into the showroom to actually come in and, uh, and sit in one of those vehicles. So, so you have to meld the, uh, you know, what I, what I think is leading-edge design with all of the attributes that the consumer is looking at in terms of, you know, great fuel economy, great ride comfort, great, uh, uh, you know, performance. All of those things have to, uh, have to be just right in order for you to be successful mm-hmm. in this area. It's very complex. This is... This is, uh, you know, we're talking about a durable good that has uh, approximately 20,000 part numbers. 
Well, I think that's a really interesting point about how do you make them compelling to consumers. And by them, I mean more fuel-efficient, more environmentally friendly cars. And I think no one is going to step out on a limb and say that this shift towards smaller cars is because of a widespread uh, awakening um, of environmental conscientiousness amongst consumers. They're looking at saving significant money. If shoppers are not coming to these cars because they're green, but are coming because they're smaller, more fuel-efficient, are you seeing other elements that they're also appreciating about these cars, if it's if it is something like recycled materials or recyclable materials, are there other selling points for these cars in addition to uh, fuel efficiency? I think it's probably too soon to tell. We're committed, though, that that the other attributes, the other environmental attributes are are important, and we've thought that for quite a while. In fact, what we've been doing and have been doing this for years is as we develop a new model, uh, what we do is we, we take a look at that new model and we compare it to the old model, and we say, okay, from an environmental standpoint, what, what have we done to the new model that has improved its environmental performance? And, and, and really, it's not just looking at it uh, in the hands of General Motors, uh, it's really a life cycle kind of approach. So what have you done to the new product uh, that, that, that you've improved the environmental performance? So that's really the, the challenge that we put out to our engineers uh, when they started looking at developing the new product. And what we've done as a result of that is for each new model that is introduced, we also publish uh, what we call an environmental features card for that product that basically talks about the things that uh, that new product has that are environmental improvements, and it tries to quantify what those environmental improvements are. Now, this is not a, an exhaustive list. What we've tried to do is keep this fairly high level so that potential consumers can understand that you know, there's more to the vehicle uh, in the environmental space than just fuel economy. There are other things that are important. In addition to doing that, the, the environmental feature card uh, on the front side talks about the product and what we've done to change the product in a positive way for the environment. But if you flip it over, uh, we include the plant that that product is built in. In, in other words, we talk about what are the environmental uh, performance features of that plant uh, where that vehicle was made uh, so that the consumer can understand that, you know, GM is not only interested in enhancing the product environmental performance, but we're also about enhancing the plant environmental performance as well. So we have, we have been publishing these for the last several years. They're probably the best kept secret at General Motors. Uh, but we actually have a website where, where you can have access to all of those environmental features cards so you can get an idea of what we're talking about. That, I, I think you're right. That may be the best-kept secret because I hadn't heard of those either, and I really would love to check them out. That is, I think, a perfect segue to looking at the larger sustainability topics at GM. Um, 
I want to just back up briefly and curious again, sort of about this marketing angle, um, that there are other environmental benefits to the cars. Are you looking at sort of the chemical makeup of what is inside the, the passenger part of the vehicles? Is that something GM is, is taking into account? Yeah, and, and let me give you a, probably another couple of examples that you'll see in the environmental features brochures. One of the things that we have uh, implemented on our vehicles is something called an engine oil life monitor. And what it does is it basically measures the, the engine oil life of that vehicle. So, uh, you know, in the old days, we were used to, uh, uh, you know, the 3,000-mile oil change. Everybody said, okay, well, 3,000 miles, you've got to take it in and get your oil changed. Mm-hmm. Well, with improvements in oil technology, improvements with engine technology, improvements with uh, overall uh, uh, computer technology, uh, we've managed to bring uh, a technology to the consumer that basically says, no, you don't have to do it every 3,000 miles. It really depends on how you drive the vehicle. So. If, if you're driving it mostly on the highway, uh, guess what? You, you're probably going to be able to extend your oil change intervals probably past 7,500 miles. And so the net result of that is, you know, you reduce the amount of used oil that, that's being generated on, on an annual basis. And we did some back-of-the-envelope calculations in terms of, you know, how much oil we were actually uh, reducing in terms of waste oil, and it, it's uh, it's pretty eye-opening. So there's another example that you know we've taken, developed some technology, and uh, and and put it in front of the consumer, and gave them the information that they need to know, so that they don't change their oil every three thousand miles, uh, and then the net result of that is over the life of the vehicle, a lot less used oil is generated as a result. So, so there's an example, again, it's not, it's not about fuel economy, but it is an environmental kind of feature that, that we've added to the, to the vehicle. Not very well known. Well, and again, this is not necessarily a strictly green, a strictly environmental benefit that, again, you're saving a significant amount of money if you're cutting the amount of oil changes you have to do in half. Yeah, we, we actually call these twofers. Right. You know, it, it's a benefit to the environment, and oh, by the way, it, it, it saves you money as well. Mm-hmm. And we had, our, uh, we had a Greener by Design conference last week, and one of the, the issues that we looked at was how you present what may be an environmentally beneficial product in a way that reaches out to non-environmentally minded shoppers. And this seems like a perfect example. I was asking about VOCs or, you know, internal uh, chemical makeup of the passenger areas of the cars because, yes, these are environmental, but you can also present them as health and safety issues and you'll get a whole different set of, of shoppers who are interested in those that might otherwise look away from an environmental uh, benefit. So this seems like a great time to move away from vehicles to the bigger picture of GM. And we have covered some of your uh, initiatives pretty heavily. And I think it was uh, towards the end of last year, you opened, I believe it was your eighth zero waste factory. Tell me a little bit about the zero waste initiative for your manufacturing plants. 
Well, well, quite frankly, it's it's a it's a fairly straightforward initiative in that uh, it, it's really under our resource management uh, strategy, and and really we look at waste as a misplaced resource, and and you know you you sort of got to get your mind around uh, the the uh, the issue differently. Uh, and not just uh, say, well, that's waste. Uh, what, do, what do we have to do to get rid of it? Uh, if you look at it and say, geez, that's actually a, a misplaced resource. We need to identify uh, where we can use this resource is, is what really made this program uh, successful. It was a different way of looking at, uh, at waste. So uh, we were at eight. We're now at ten and I got to tell you, we're growing. We will have many, many more zero waste landfill facilities uh, in the very near future. You'll be hearing more about that. Uh, but we're quite pleased with the progress that we're making there. But again, it's a it's a it's a difference in mindset. We look at you know things that traditionally have been generated uh, as waste. Uh, we look at a first. Do you even have to generate the waste? Is there a way to uh, not generate waste, or is there a way to cut down on the amount of waste by just coming up with a better design so that you don't have to use you know those materials uh, in the operation? So there's there's a there's a lot of things that we look at uh, in in this whole area, and at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is to make sure that Everything that comes into the plant, the, the majority of it gets put on the product. The, the amount of materials that don't get on the product, we find another use for those materials. In doing so, it's another twofer. Uh, you know, you, you uh, help in terms of not, you know, sending materials to landfills. You actually can uh, cut down on your cost associated with waste disposal in many cases you can find revenue streams from uh, some of these materials. So at, at the end of the day, you're hoping that from a financial standpoint, you come out on the plus side. And then uh, in many cases, these, these very strategies on a resource management level actually have the potential to reduce CO2 emissions. And so it, it's, a, it's a very comprehensive, well-thought-out strategy but it really did start with a very simple idea that waste, indeed, is just a misplaced resource. It's a form of inefficiency is something I hear a lot. Yeah, but the way we look at it is, you know, don't, don't create it if you don't have to. The other thing is, uh, in order to be successful and transferable, uh, you really have to have a real good network so that you can share best practices, and that's, that's what has been done uh, within the company, and that's why, you know, we're we're growing this fairly rapidly because uh, it makes a, a lot of sense, and we've got examples that are that are transferable from one facility to the next. So, I, I think uh, I think you're going to hear a lot more about this uh, in, in the not too distant future. What has the response been to this from workers at those plants? Well, they 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 are very supportive because. You know, a, a lot of the ideas that you get, quite frankly, are from people who are closest to these issues, the people that work in the plants. 
So a lot of the ideas that we get are from the employees that actually are part of the whole process. So they, they are very keen and, and have some excellent ideas. So th- without question, the, the, the people have been the key to s- the success of this whole initiative, and, uh, and they're all on board. Again, another twofer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Great, Terry. Well, thanks very much for your time. It was uh, good to talk to you, and I look forward to hearing more about uh, more zero-waste facilities. Great, Matt. I appreciate it. Anytime. You've been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.